on the eve of her confirmation. Devin, one of my youth from my first parish, quietly shared this thought with me. She said, the reason I want to be confirmed is because I want to be closer to God and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to know what it feels like to be with God more often. Her friend, Stephanie, said this, when I was baptized, the Holy Spirit entered me like chocolate squeezed into milk. When I'm confirmed, the Holy Spirit will stir in me and I will become transformed just as milk transforms when I stir the chocolate. For many, confirmation is a rite of passage, a coming of age in the church. It is a natural next step on the faith journey with few questions and much joy. Confirmation is not always an easy choice. I remember refusing to consider confirmation until I was 18 because nobody could answer my questions in a satisfying, transformational way. I just couldn't bring myself to believe in God and accept the peace of Christ. Nora, another confirmand, felt this way. She had this to say about her faith journey before receiving the sacrament of confirmation. She said, I am going to start with honesty. This could either be a very good way to start or it could be a disaster. I've struggled a lot with the concept of my faith journey and frankly even confirming my faith. I've always been a skeptic. Teachers in school would get annoyed with my constant barrage of questions. Why? How? I wanted solid evidence that something was for sure 100% true. At home, my parents had a bit more patience with me. I wanted to know things like, why weren't there dinosaurs anywhere in Genesis? I mean, look at the people of the medieval Europe. They fully, with all their hearts, believed that the world was flat. I'm not sure what I believe about God. I want to believe God in God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength, but frankly, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not sure about stories like the burning bush, Adam and Eve, Abraham's test. In some ways, Jesus is a little bit easier, having been human, but the virgin birth and the resurrection, I'm having some trouble with that. I honestly hope that one day I'll be able to believe that God is as real as you and me, but I can't quite say that today. Oh gosh, what is God going to do with my doubtful questions? What I can confirm today is that I believe that God is in all that is good. That God is love. That we should love our neighbors and love God. I can confirm that this is a message that should be carried throughout the world, regardless of the details of Jesus' life and his birth and death. Confirmation 
has not been a journey to a final epiphany for me, but part of a search. I'm going to keep looking for God. I have been and I always will be looking. Someday I will find my peace with God. But for now, patience. So please, God, it's me, Nora, the skeptic. Wherever you may be, I'm still looking. Could you wait a little bit longer? I'm looking for you to the best of my limited ability. Perhaps in our search, we just need to keep our heads up in order to see him. When I was going over the gospel text for this week, and read once again about Jesus' appearances to the disciples and then to Thomas, I found myself asking, just when will that be? When will the moment come when we look up and really notice, really see and know that the risen Lord who stands before us in every room in our house, in every situation of our lives, whether we are considering confirmation or the everyday tasks of life, when will we actually see him? The disciples were, as John tells us, locked in their room for fear of the Jews. The Jews is John's label for those among the religious leadership of the day who opposed Jesus. I don't take the disciples' fear lightly. There was a danger out there. Who knew whether the people who had killed their leader would now come after them? Or whether they would be accused of having stolen his body in some resurrection scam? They were locked in a room with absolute fear and grief. And that was bad enough. But now Mary had to come along and introduce this ridiculous hope into their grief. That she had seen Jesus and that he had spoken to her. How could such a thing be true? If I had been there in that locked room, I would have been thinking, I'll believe it when I see it. But the fact that I would probably have been looking down would have made that impossible. I would have tried looking at the four walls and at that locked door, but of course, all they signal is fear and false security. I might have tried looking at my friends' faces, but all they would signal is grief and confusion. And so I probably would have been looking down when the risen Lord arrived. There is so much that we miss when we're looking down, as anyone who walks with a cell phone can tell you. In these two scenes taken together, there are a couple of crucial things that we would miss. We would miss our risen Lord's greeting, and we would miss the good news. We would miss the risen Lord's greeting, peace be with you. Now, Jesus' greeting is not a statement of what Jesus wishes for the disciples. It is a statement of fact, of present reality. And he says it not once, but three times. 
In early Christian worship services, the passing of the peace echoed this greeting of the risen Lord, whom they believed, as we do today, was in their midst when they gathered for worship. Worshippers greeted one another with the kiss of peace and the words, the peace of Christ be with you. Jesus wasn't the first to use this greeting. Peace be with you is a greeting used by God in the Old Testament when God approaches humans and they tremble with fear of punishment. It conveys that the divine manifestation will not harm the recipient. This isn't the first time Jesus has uttered this greeting. Peace be with you is the fulfillment of a promise Jesus made to his disciples in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. I am going away, and I am coming to you. Well, Today, we learn that he's back, as promised. And here he stands in the midst of his disciples whose hearts are both troubled and afraid, reminding them of the gift of peace which he has already given them. If there are places in our lives and within our own community where troubled thoughts and anxious visions of the future have banished peace. We will want to make sure that we are looking up in our new life in Christ and indeed ensure that the peace is the posture of our discipleship. We need to make sure that we're in a posture where we we can see and hear the risen Lord standing before us, expressing the way that things are now when he says, peace, be with you. That's not something we want to miss out on simply because we're looking down. If we're not looking up, we might actually miss the good news. Both in this initial scene with the disciples and in the later scene with Thomas, after Jesus greets them with peace be with you, he shows them his hands and his side. And in the second scene, he invites Thomas to touch his hands and his side. Throughout the centuries, the five holy wounds of Christ have inspired Christians prayerfully to contemplate the sufferings of Christ. I should be dead, but yet here I stand. Is that what the wound says to me? In our world that is teams with despair, injustice, and violence, the bombing of churches, flooding all around us, the persecution and oppression of God's people. Cynicism and fear could easily overpower hope and faith if it weren't for the fact that in Jesus' words, the ruler of this world has no power over me. The wounds say that love is stronger than death, that the worst brutality of which human beings are capable is no match for the resurrecting power of God through his Holy Spirit. 
So if there are places in our lives and within our community where injustice and violence seem to rule, we will want to make sure as new confirmants that we are looking up this Easter season so that we can see and touch the wounds of the risen Christ. Visible signs of the ultimate victory of life over death that strengthen us for the smaller battles that will lie ahead of us. We are not to be afraid of what he might ask us to do or to say in our newly confirmed life. The Holy Spirit will always give us the power to do whatever kingdom building we need to do. I'll believe it when I see it, we often say. I'll believe it when I see and touch it, says Thomas. Thomas wants firsthand proof that what the others have reported to him is actually true. So do I, but I'm not going to get it. Like Nora the skeptic, I've always yearned for more direct evidence. If I could just feel Jesus' arm around my shoulder, maybe. If he made it a habit to whisper audible words in my ear a little more often, perhaps. If when I close my eyes, I could see his face, or better yet, open my eyes, and he would be standing right there in front of me. But all I have to go on is faith. Fortunately, my faith is enough to nourish and sustain me day by day, and it will be for you too. I do take some comfort in Jesus' chastisement of Thomas. You have believed because you have seen me. This leads directly to his blessing on you and me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Today, as you stand before God, the bishop, your friends and family, you will declare your beliefs and make promises that will open your life to new possibilities, new challenges, and an abundance of life you never thought possible. You will be given the gifts of the Holy Spirit to sustain you, to help you to grow up in Christ, to serve the church in ways that you never even imagined. All I ask is that you keep your heads up, see and believe, for he has great plans for you. Amen.